What is happening to the surface of the planet Earth and to California's Central Valley? Is this California business as usual? Or is this the fight over human and non-human rights? What are the honest, hardcore facts about reckless human behavior that cause the peril that humans make for each other? And what can we do? Where do we find the promise for a better world? Stay tuned for this week's installment. I am Pegasus, your host for The Peril and the Promise. Sponsored by the Peace Life Center of Modesto. Today on The Peril and the Promise, I am stepping out of Stanislaw County in order to visit some people in other parts of this bioregion, one of whom is Christian Eric Stahlberg, who will be speaking about biomimicry and explaining some of the ways that that might be helpful even on a spiritual level when it comes to the future of humanity on this planet. Also, we'll be speaking with Monica Garcia, who has started the Love Yourself Foundation and will be speaking about the connections of environmental health and human health. I'm actually reporting today from Calaveras County. I've traveled over out of uh, Stanislaw County. The interview I wanted to conduct today is with you, Eric. What's your? How do you pronounce your full name? Uh, my full name is Christian Eric Stahlberg. I didn't know if Christian was like a designation of your faith basis or if it was your name. Yeah, it's my name. Okay, got it. <laughs> well, on that note of faith basis, what do you have to say about that when it comes to the environment? Faith basis, spirituality, or religiosity? I know that could be four different questions. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, we're in the middle of the wilderness and off-grid, and it's absolutely beautiful. And uh, I must interrupt. Um, Dorothy Day quoted Dostoevsky, who said, the world will be saved by beauty. So I think there's something to be said about the spirituality of beauty. Absolutely, yeah. It's just magical. All of life that, that is here that we're witness to, um, you really feel... Uh, one with all uh, all all living creatures, uh, be they plant or animal, and that's because there's few people, and because you're off grid. I would say so. Yeah. Uh, in contrast to cities, here really nature is dominant. It is the it is the prevailing dominant force, and it's just absolutely illuminating and magnificent, and uh, just beaming and shining. And so it's it's divinely overwhelming. I I would suggest if you can tune into it. Uh huh. When I've had the privilege of living in a very rustic and rural area, the people that had been there for years before me, they made it clear that the best thing to do is to follow the rhythms of nature. This is the guiding principle, is, is Mother Nature. Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, modern, modern industrial civilization has made the, uh, the terminal error, if you will, uh, call it that, that uh, humans are separate from nature, but we are actually nature. Mm-hmm. We are one with them, and we are subject to the all the forces, be they biotic or abiotic, just as all uh-huh. other living uh, things here. And and uh, we need to be better stewards and uh, learn how to fit in, as opposed to going against the grain and creating things like climate chaos. Right. Do you identify as a scientist, or um, where, where does where do you fall in terms of um, the um, categories of yeah. what you do on this planet, what your energy is yeah. spent on? 
Yeah, um, well, it's interesting that you asked that question. Lately, I've been reading a little bit of Rupert Sheldrake, and uh, he's a very interesting person, uh, Cambridge-trained uh, scientist, and um, and yet he most certainly allows for the possibility of uh, other than human uh, existence and worlds and forces and uh and so I, I would say um, there's many ways of knowing epistemologically. Mm -hmm. And so um, Western science with its uh, empiricism and all that is one way of knowing. But there are other ways of knowing things and there are other things that cannot be known except through something other than perhaps um, empirical Western science. Okay. Why are you living at Earth Abides Farm? Yeah, well, there's a there's a rich history here of of, of service and uh, being in in harmony with nature, and um, I really think that uh, humans uh, as being uh, arguably the most potentially adaptive species of all can be of the greatest service to all nature, and yet we that is not the path uh, certainly Western industrial civilization has taken and of course now we have uh, increasing evidence all around us uh, that we've we are in error and that we are very much uh, out of harmony mm -hmm. out of sync not fitting in and the whole notion of anthropocentrism is really uh, kind of crashing down around our heads and we really need to uh, listen deeply and rethink and that includes uh, rethinking the purpose of life and questioning uh, everything. So let me just say that I consider myself a mystic lifelong and um, am always uh, learning more uh, as much as I can about all the different ways of knowing including through mysticism mm -hmm. about life and existence. From your mysticism, how does that inform your studies of science? Yes, I'm currently enrolled in the graduate program uh, through Arizona State University for a master's uh, of science in biomimicry. Biomimicry. Yes, biomimicry. Not everybody knows what that is. So if you tease apart the word, you've got biology and you have mimicry. So um, at one level, you could say that it's mimicking the natural world. And uh, the theory behind this is that nature has 3.8 billion years of trial and error and evolution and has developed um, what we might say uh, the most perfect uh, processes, forms, and ecosystems. Um, and that humans, by contrast, Homo sapiens have only been here um, 200,000 years. So we're the new kid on the block. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, there's people around us here that are plucking apples today because it's that time of the year. And uh, in probably about half an hour, some folks will be uh, juicing those apples. And uh, we've got a lot to learn from nature. So uh, biomimicry studies nature very deeply. We study organisms. We learn about them. And then we apply uh, how they have learned to fit in through their evolution to how humans might fit in better than we have to date. That's an excellent summary, I think, in terms of uh, the merging of mysticism with biomimicry, because when I used to think of biomimicry, I would think more of like people believing that they're still above nature, humans thinking that they're better than the rest of the universe, and therefore um, we can 
control and maintain and, and, and do change the weather and, and make machines and, and not have any cost to the environment? It's, it's, it's almost uh, completely because we, uh, in our um, cleverness, if you will, have decided that we are superior to nature and we can uh, control it and or design our habitat in such a way as to be immune from the effects of nature which is a, 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 a mistake, which is being proved out more and more. Got it. If you're just tuning in, I am Pegasus. I'm here with Christian Eric Stahlberg, and we're talking about uh, mysticism and biomimicry. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to The Peril and the Promise. I am Pegasus, and I'm here with Christian Eric Stolberg in Calaveras County talking about biomimicry, science, as well as mysticism. Um, what do you, Eric, hope to achieve? What's your plan after getting this degree? Yeah, it, it, it remains to be seen, uh, but I think I'd like to uh, work in education in... Um, uh, dispelling or reversing, if you will, anthropocentrism uh -huh. and um, having uh, homo sapiens uh, ideally humble themselves and really look to nature with its 3.8 billion years of, uh, of perfection um, for uh, answers to human uh, challenges, mm -hmm. for solutions, because they are there. I can give you one quick example uh, there's a new discipline, a new emerging field of green chemistry. And green chemistry, is, the idea of that is to study all the chemicals of nature and how nature uses chemistry to do all the things that it does. And what we've learned is that most of the things that we use petroleum-based chemistry for, which is more often than not toxic and harmful to the natural world, including ourselves, mm -hmm. is being done by nature in a completely innocuous, benign mm -hmm. manner. Uh-huh. And so a growing number of chemists and scientists are ever so slowly but diligently researching chemistry in nature. And hopefully over time we will substitute today's toxic, harmful chemicals with ones that are benign. Okay. What's it going to take to do that rather than just um, a few uh, engineers that say, look, aha, Eureka, isn't there, is there a political uh, or... Yeah, well, now we're getting into some theories about economics and politics and all the rest. So I think, you know, the way I'd, I'd like to see it go is that um, our government and let's say the Environmental Protection Agency... Uh, with the support of Congress would actually make uh, a target of green chemistry to replace all the toxic chemicals by such and such a date and and even provide research dollars mm -hmm. and maybe we could take some of those research dollars away from the nuclear modernization yeah. that trillion dollar pot of, of money sitting there um, mm -hmm. so um, I, I would argue that um, it would we'd be a lot better off, and we could do this a lot more quickly if we had government uh, research support rather than just leaving it to the free market. Thank you for that explanation and uh, and uh, hope. <laughs> 
it sounds pretty clear to me. Christian Eric Stahlberg. We now turn to Monica Garcia, who will be speaking about the interconnections of human health and the environmental health. I am Pegasus, your host, and I'm here with Monica Garcia, who has a lot to speak about when it comes to the environment and human health, including mental health. Hi, Monica. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, one of the things, I just want to go into your background a little bit. You uh, mentioned that as a child, you became inspired about um, the connection with humanity and the environment. Can you tell a little bit about that before we go into modern issues? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that um, really captivated me was the movie Fern Gully, the children's movie, the animated movie. And then what really did it was when I was eight years old, um, I read a book called The Great Kapok Tree. It's a children's book. K-A-P-O-K? Yes. Okay, Kate Bugtree. Yeah, and I highly, highly recommend it for anybody of any age. And in the story, uh, what happens is there's a, a man that's going to actually cut down this tree, the great Kate Bug tree, and he falls asleep next to the tree. And different critters come over and tell him all the reasons why he should not cut it down. And so by the end of the story, he wakes up and he doesn't cut it down. And then... Um, the author actually wrote, she writes a letter to all her readers and pretty much empowering the reader that whatever you do can actually make a difference, even if it's just one person, right? And so for me, uh, that created such a deep love for the rainforest and just knowing that, and at the time as a kid, I was like, well, what can I do? And the best thing that came was recycling. So I just became super into recycling <laughs> and uh, making sure my family did it. My, and and just getting people to do that. And then, yeah, that, that paved the way for the future. <laughs> Monica, can you also tell us a little bit about things beyond what personal individual consumers can do and how we can work towards systemic change, whether it's with the military or with urban centers? How can uh, the systems change better? Yeah, I think I can speak more so like on a city level, right? And yeah. and seeing the different policies that we can do. And of course, here in the United States, one of the leaders is Portland, Portland, uh-huh. Oregon, and just seeing what they've been able to accomplish with composting, with recycling and offering that to people. And um, here in Nevada, curbside recycling is being offered more and more in different neighborhoods. So I really think it's Again, thinking more on uh, on a grassroots, and then the the evolution that has in, in empowering our local governments to make the right decisions. Right, the empowerment issue that brings us back to the the great Kapok tree, the uh, or other stories that we have learned. That one was very powerful for you. But, but what I'm also hearing in that is that the encouragement and the empowerment, like mm-hmm. when we can tell stories and find examples of what's going on um, in good ways that can be helpful and for children to get that that hope now as you came into how old are you now i'm 29 okay Mm -hmm. as you came into adulthood can you tell us a little bit about uh difficulties that you've had um when you with the smashing of the of the idea of like oh we can do it and it's like oh my god this is harder yeah uh yeah you know i think um when i was well, I was great. I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity when I was a junior in college to start a campaign uh, to reduce bottled water. Um, and at that moment in time, I had never done anything like that. So I was really scared, and I and I had so much doubt. And uh, but a lot of friends and professors 
believed in me and they said, you know, Monica, you're so passionate about it. Just let, let that passion carry you forward. And so for me personally, I've, I've seen what it seemed might, might seem like a small thing, how it can actually grow. And, but I've definitely had, and and the campaign became successful and has helped um, UNLV quite a bit. Yeah, the, the the university in Las Vegas. I think you said earlier when I was talking with you offline um, or hearing from you that um, they went from about three filtered water stations on campus to how many? There's over a hundred now. Yeah, yeah, because of student activism, mm-hmm. because people that cared and encouraged mm-hmm. the systems to change. Absolutely, and I, and I just see that, and I think there's definitely been moments in my life when I've felt a little powerless, um, and one of the main moments was I shared earlier was uh, when I saw the EPA getting attacked uh, with the Trump administration, and it created such fear and sadness, and and I, because at that point in time, I mean, I like a lot of us, I had a lot of, I, I had a lot of faith in, in our government officials, mm. and during that time, I mean, I started to lose that, and yeah. so I had, I went through that period of like powerlessness, but it really, it came back quick. It, I feel like I got guided back very quickly to just remember that what you do even on a personal level does matter and mm-hmm. it's a ripple effect so even if you are just a person that wants to live like a very sustainable lifestyle that is creating a monumental change like mm-hmm. if you really start to think of the statistics of who knows like if you have an electric vehicle and mm-hmm. how much that's saving and uh just all all the things and even if you, you don't if you're more plant-based uh the amount of resources you're saving by being more plant-based with your diet so Luckily, the moments in my life, um, they've taught me a lot, those powerless moments, but I'm really grateful that they, I bounced back every time yeah. and just remembered that even if it's, now I know the power of, of changing a person's life, like that's a whole life, that's a whole person, you know, it's a whole world that you can help and influence and, and hoping that they have a better quality of life as a result. If you've just been joining us, I've been speaking with Monica Garcia who has much to say about human health and the promise for hope in all this being loving oneself. We'll be right back after a short break. Welcome back to The Peril and the Promise. We're continuing our conversation with Monica Garcia. You're the founder of Love Yourself Foundation? Yes, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, So it's an organization uh, that is spreading self-love and the ripple effect that has and empowering uh, and creating better relationships with others and then ultimately a more harmonious relationship with Earth. Uh the organization I got inspired through my own personal story of uh, overcoming mental health uh, issues, anxiety, depression, all that. And uh, up until then, before I created the organization, I I was so much more about trying to get people to change their habits. Yeah. But through going through my own mental health, I realized that, you know, what if this is a much deeper thing? Mm-hmm. And thank goodness... You know, at the time it was really hard, but now I look back and I and I think, well, thank goodness I went through the anxiety and the depression because it really helped me relook at 
the environmental crisis from another lens and just trying to link it back to love and just building a more compassionate relationship with yourself and that again by fueling yourself treating yourself well you have more energy Mm -hmm. to do more and so you can uh, reach out more to people bring people together you can do more for the community and um, just have more capacity your heart grows every time that you go through a hardship so and if you are able to really remember that and tune into that um, it gives you strength yeah. Great. Thank you. I know that some people feel that there's a stigma about, uh, you know, anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. panic attacks, those kinds of things where we're not able to function as well in society or different than we yeah. used to. Stigma exists. And do you know much about like biochemical causes? And, you know, just what would you like to say about the destruction of the environment and the destruction of the human psyche? Yeah, I think I think where humanity is right now, we've we have gotten super caught up into the into technology, into the industrial, really the industrial revolution contributed to where we are now, obviously. So I feel in a way we've gotten really caught up in it and we've forgotten our connection to nature. And I think a lot of us are feeling the symptoms of that, whether it's anxiety, whether mm-hmm. if it's depression, and a lot of times just especially here in the United States, it's all about working and working and working and working. And yeah. sometimes we say, I find the when you know when you catch up with someone and you're like well how have you been and then the common response is oh I've been busy and then the other response is oh that's great but it's <laughs> but you know and, and it's and at the and then really when you start to think about it you're like well what does that even mean that mm. you've been busy you know mm-hmm. and why is it great and I think yeah. it's just be, again this society praises you to be constantly on the go mm-hmm. and it doesn't really enforce the idea of just taking a step back and relax because relaxing is part of the flow so i think a lot of these mental health issues that we're experiencing is it's i think a symptom of our sickness as a collective Mm -hmm. as a society that we've just forgotten we've forgotten in a way who we are um and i think it's just imperative to reconnect and and know that um unfortunately you know and, and make it make it not um uh, taboo to talk about and when depression anxiety and suicide is on the rise um here in the united states yeah. so we do need to talk about it and mm-hmm. we do need to normalize it we do need to talk about that it's okay and that you can overcome it and yeah. then there are alternatives you don't have to take medication for it mm-hmm. and there's all these other avenues that you can go through to to help yourself my apologies for interrupting you monica at this moment but um Something you just said reminded me of an interview we had earlier on today's uh, The Peril and the Promise with Eric, but we didn't think we had time to play it, but we're going to make time for this uh, other addendum from Eric, and then we'll be back with you, Monica, in a minute more about the Love Yourself Foundation. I'm currently 64 years young, and uh, I've had several careers over the course of my life. I would say the the most notable ones were in um, uh, disaster recovery and disaster response, uh, hazard mitigation. I worked both in uh, local, state, and federal government and as an independent consultant um, with both the public, public and private sectors in that discipline. And then I also have had a, a, 
a notable career in uh, what's referred to as energy modeling, which for the layperson is basically computerized simulation of buildings' energy use oh. using a local weather file. And I uh, work with architects and engineers. I used to sell the software and do the training and the technical support for that. Wow. And uh, I don't, uh, how did you transition from that life to your current path as a mystic? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess mysticism has been a thread that has just run lifelong. But, um, but in terms of how I ended up with biomimicry, both, uh, both disaster work and um, studying the nature of disaster phenomena how it comes about and why and its impacts and how to how to guard against uh, that the damages uh, and so on and so forth is very much an environmental question and um helping uh, create energy efficient buildings is also an environmental question and so when i looked around for an advanced degree uh to 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 take uh biomimicry jumped out at me uh-huh. as being very suitable and uh very uh, forward looking great thank you christian eric stolberg indeed both of our guests today are speaking a little bit about the fascinating connectivity between human health and environmental health that when there are crises and disasters in the environment they're very similar to the crises and disasters in personal lives and the recoveries can also be similar we will delve into this topic more in next week's episode of the peril and the promise but for right now we return to monica garcia who will tell us about the love yourself foundation is the Love Yourself Foundation the one that you have in uh, Nevada? Is that the only one of its kind that that, that has that name? Or is it is it replicatable in other places? Um, right now, yeah, we're just based in Vegas. Uh, however, I do have the. I mean, it's designed to be an online platform, so we're online and okay. we have Facebook and all that website. But my intention is to create different chapters. My future goals are to create different regions with yeah. it and and make this a worldwide thing because it's not a regional. It isn't a regional problem, you know. It's a worldwide thing that we all right. that we all need to address as a human as the human species. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, before we give out the website for the Love Yourself Foundation, uh, do you have any last comments as we close this interview? Um, I really think that uh, just again, it's okay to slow down and, and with mental health, and it's okay to just to call your have a little time out to recalibrate and whatever that is, you know, whether it's reconnecting in nature or just doing something you enjoy, reading a book or just you know taking a day off for yourself. Like it's okay. To, to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. And what's yeah. the website people can go to? Yeah, the website is uh, thelyfoundation.com. And then we have, that's the same handle for Facebook and Instagram. So the L-Y Foundation. The L-Y. Yeah, the L-Y standing for love yourself. And it's just mm-hmm. easy. So one more time. Thelyfoundation.com. Dot com. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
You've been listening to The Peril and the Promise from kcbpradio.org, produced by Pegasus here at the Peace Life Center of Modesto. You can tune in every week at this time to learn about the peril that humans make for each other and the promise that we can make for a better world as community. Music on The Peril and the Promise is by Alzara Getz and Dorothy's Melting.